Yo, we're live. So, welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would like to now introduce our speaker, all the way from Albuquerque with a Q, for tonight, James R. All right, guys, James, I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, James. Uh, first of all, thanks, Kiko, for asking me to, to share my experience here. Um, I usually wear a, a suit and tie, but as I was sitting there, I started to realize, I think I may actually die if I if I do that. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to... Uh, don't tell my sponsor, um, Michael B. He likes to do that because obviously we, uh, you know, I mean, in my sponsorship tradition, we show respect for a a, a program that's saving our life. Um, mostly, I just look good in a suit, but uh, I mean, that's why I do it. But um, anyway, I love the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the um, Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous and um, the Twelve Steps. And yeah, I'm just a very, very grateful recovering compulsive overeater. I have been absent since May 11th of 2016, which means I just turned five in May, and um, it's been uh, an interesting ride. I'm going to share my experience, strength, and hope with you guys. I am not going to make it to 20 after. I, I That would be quite a feat, but uh, we will get some questions in. Um, so yeah, so you know my experience, I'm, uh, I'm from Wisconsin. If you've never been to Wisconsin, it's sort of like... Uh, the Shire and the people are sort of like hobbits and they, uh, they really like cheese and really like beer, man. Uh, those are sort of the two gods that, uh, that we have in, in Wisconsin and they are sacred. Uh, I'm sure there's been a number of attempts to make being lactose intolerant illegal there. Um, so, you know, that's, um, that's where I come from. A lot of obesity in my family and in general and how I grew up. Um, and let's see. Yeah. Um, I had a good upbringing. I, I really a fantastic upbringing. I, I was uh, very talented in classical music as a, at a young age, significantly above average intelligence and all that kind of really great advantages. That uh, yeah, I just had I, I had a good childhood, uh, and there was something horribly wrong with me um, from a very young age. I was very actively suicidal, and uh, there was I, I have scoured my brain for reasons for why, you know, every newcomer seems to have like some trauma that they have that caused their, their malady here. I, I, I can't find it. I've, I'm really, I'm still searching, man. I don't, I, there's gotta be a reason, but no, it's just, um, I'm just the way that I am. And you know, when I, um, when I was very young, I didn't know that this happened, but you know, for me, when I eat food, I have an abnormal reaction which is that I, for a very, very brief period of time, experienced relief from all the problems in the world. And it was my very, very first experience with that. And I, I'm, I'm in multiple programs, obviously, but um, you know, that, that was sort of the first thing. I think one of the reasons that people say that compulsive overeating, very, very difficult to, to recover here. Um, and the, the usual reason that I hear is because you gotta let the beast out of the cage three times a day. I actually don't relate to that. I don't relate to letting a beast out of a cage three times a day. Uh, that is not my experience with food now that I've been recovered for five years. When I eat, I have mostly neutrality related to food. It's not like letting a beast out of a cage. I think the reason that 
Overeaters Anonymous is a little bit more difficult to get sober in is because there is no period of time in my past where I can look at a single instance and say, that is a perfect example of compulsive overeating. That is not the case in Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. In Alcoholics Anonymous, I had a situation where I had a first drink and it was a come to Jesus experience. And that made it very easy for me in retrospect to identify as a compulsive over or as an alcoholic. But when I look back at my compulsive overeating, my behaviors are wildly varied. And I learned, I learned that that fundamental thing that I I eat differently than other people at a very young age, so much so that it's just become part of my life. You know, I, I was doing that, I was having that experience so often at, from the day I was born that it sort of just became part of who I am. And it was hard to identify that. Um, and, and I'll talk a little bit about how I came to identify as a compulsive overeater. Uh, but you know, what happened for me is I, you know, when I was a kid, I would, uh, I just, I would binge eat everything. My grandma would just feed me Cinnabons and I just, man, I was just great. I love that stuff. And, uh, I love food. I, you know, I still love food actually. I, I, food is fantastic, man. Food is a, a coping mechanism that helped me get through some very, very difficult times in my life and, um, kept, you know, kept me alive long enough to get to you guys. And um, so what happened was when I was 15 years old, I drank a, uh, a beverage, a, a beer, and my life became absolute chaos. And any problem that I had with food at that point became totally skewed by the fact that, you know, alcohol had just roared over my life. And I would, I would go up and down in weight all the time. I would do the, these compulsive running. Um, I was bulimic from a young age. I was uh, anorexic on and off periodically. Um, and I would call it fasting, uh, you know, and, you know, I would go on all these pretty, like I was, uh, when I turned 18, a little before that, actually, I discovered the paleo movement and, uh, was really big into that before it got, became a really big thing. And I, I think one of the reasons that I was drawn to that is because my issue tends to be white flour and sugar. And those are two things that the paleo movement sort of says you should, you should maybe uh, lean off of those a little bit. And I, I could recognize that there was absolutely no way I was going to maintain a healthy body weight or look the way that I wanted to look. Um, if, as long as I was eating those two things and looking back now, I realize that when I eat those two things, I have a very, very clear allergic reaction where I, where I, I, I set off, you know, and nowadays, you know, like I've had, I've had like desserts in, in abstinence and I've taken a look at what it was, you know, it was obviously committed and all that kind of stuff. We talked about my sponsor first and I, I took a look at that reaction and I, you know, I, what I don't get is why someone would want just one of like a piece of cheesecake. I don't get that. I don't understand why they would just want one. That doesn't make sense to me. What I want to do is eat until I am totally full and can no longer put any food in my body. That's the way that I eat. And so um, I have learned through trial and error that uh, that white white flour and uh, or they basically bread and bread and recreational sugar don't work for me. Um, so let's see what happened next. I got sober. Um, you know, I, I took, it took me a really long time to get sober. I had a very, very difficult time identifying as an alcoholic. And, um, you know, uh, when I finally did get sober, it was a huge jarring experience. And I had this incredible life-changing alteration of my, who I was fundamentally as a person. Um, when I worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, but something uh, really interesting happened to me when I worked the steps for the very first time, which is what that I stopped being bulimic. 
and it wasn't like I, you know, people ask me like, how do you stop doing that today? I can't really answer that because it just vanished from me. When I worked the steps and it seemed like a direct relation to the steps, I suddenly just didn't have any urge to do it anymore. And it, it was, I was very, very odd, you know? And uh, at the time I would share about this in meetings, you know, that like all oh, the steps work in my life, I'm no longer, uh, I'm no longer throwing up. And, and at some point, you know, I, I, I didn't, at this time I was very heavy and like, I'm just an alcoholic and I'm, I'm, I'm not different from anybody else. And my sponsor took me aside and he said, listen, James, um, we, I had a conversation with some other people and we would like you to talk, stop talking about throwing up in meetings. You're making people uncomfortable and nobody wants to hold your hand during the Lord's prayer. Um, so, and, and I, he explained to me, I don't know what that is, but that's not alcoholism. It's not AA, not AA related, and it doesn't belong in AA. And he was, he was a pretty big stickler for a fifth tradition, which I appreciate. Um, so it was on my radar that there was something up. And then I had a conversation with this, uh, these other two people who basically 12-step uh, me into OA. And both of these people are named Jason, which makes the story incredibly confu uh, confusing. So we're going to call one of them Jason, one of them Boo Boo, because that's what I call him today. Um, and Jason was making a comment that, you know, we were talking about eating and eating a lot. And, and both of these people were alcoholics of my type. It's very specific. I knew these people very well. I knew how they drank. I had heard their stories. They both drank like I did. And we were talking about how to manage our eating. And Jason said that I have the solution. And he held up his fist like this and he said, this is the size of your stomach. Don't eat more than this. And Boo Boo, who was listening to this, said, held up his hand and said, this is the size of your stomach. Don't drink more than this. And for him, he did not relate to that at all. He truly, authentically said, that is not how it is. It is not the same thing. But for me, it is the same thing. And for me, that was a very, very profound experience because I realized that there were some similarities between the way that I ate and the way that I drank. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I checked out a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous and... Um, you know, sometime later, actually, and and I met a guy named Aaron, and Aaron sort of twelve stepped me. Aaron was like, I don't know, like five months more abstinence than me at that time, um, and he was totally on fire for Overeaters Anonymous. He was sponsoring a bunch of dudes, started a meeting. He was just on fire. Some people are just like that when they when they get started. Um, and uh, he he took me through the twelve steps, and then he he eventually went out, and I switched over to Michael uh, Michael B, who's my current sponsor. And, um, yeah, it's been an interesting little ride here. You know, for me, I've, um, I've taken a, a look at my eating and most of my identification really comes from the way that I eat in abstinence. So I, I look at the way that I eat and I recognize that it was abnormal and that I have certain patterns of behavior that I, I mean, truth be told, a lot of the compulsions I have today still, you know, when I eat whiter, uh, uh, bread or sugar, I, I get a allergic reaction. When I eat a little bit too much, I have the slightest thing. To, I, I, I'm like, I should starve myself a little bit, I think, to like balance this out. Or maybe I should go work out incredibly a lot and, uh, and to, again, balance it out. Um, so I, I do all of that kind of stuff. And I identified all of those, I guess the, you call them compulsions, in abstinence. 
And, um, you know, I worked with my sponsor and we sort of identified some of these things. And we, he took me through the book, very straight out of the book. Uh, AA, work the steps is re uh, related to food, replaced everything with food. And uh, I had another huge experience with, um, with the steps, another huge, profound um, experience with the steps, yeah. And uh, it changed who I was fundamentally once again. And even, you know, even in sobriety, I continue to change. And even in abstinence, I continue to change, you know. Um, yeah, I, I considerably. And, and it should be told, the, the change in Overeaters Anonymous has actually been a little bit more significant because I'll give you an example. I was at, uh, so I, I was somewhat estranged from my extended family, which has been resolved. But the first time that I ever showed up there, again, after years of not seeing them, maybe like three or four years, not a lot, um, my uncle looked at me at one point and I could tell on his face that he did not recognize me at all, that I had changed so drastically that I, I was unrecognizable, but not just in my physical body, my, my physical body really changed and it changed very, very quickly. Um, but in my demeanor, in my confidence, in who I am, just in every way, shape, and form. I am an entirely different human being, totally unrecognizable from, from who I was before. And that's what the steps are designed to do, you know? Like my problem fundamentally, what I have learned through the steps is that I am selfish and self-centered. And that's, that's like big, heady language. It sounds a little biblical to me. I, I, I'm not gonna talk about God here, but I just like, I just, I'm not a big, big fan of that word in general and uh i mean I, I have a higher power of my understanding and that works for me and i'm fine calling it god but just in general that word antagonizes me a little bit and bible antagonizes me a little bit and sin and uh like all that kind of stuff that all that all brings back catholic school for me and um which really they were lovely to me in catholic school i just don't like authority and uh discipline and those kinds of things so um yeah, I forgot where I was going to go with that. I was talking about um, sin. Oh, yeah, selfish and self-centered. So, yeah, I'm selfish and self-centered. And so I, I don't really like the, those two words because it feels a little self-flatulating to me. What I like is the word childish. And I think there's a lot of reason why childish is a good, like at a very basic level, a good description for alcoholism. And there's actually a study called the Rand study that sort of like goes into this. I'm not going to talk about that. But um, for me, what I learned is that when I eat food at a very young age, I learned this, it resolves all the emotional conflicts in my life. And for a very brief period of time, I experienced total comfort in reality, regardless of what's going on around me. And uh, that does not happen in the normal person. The problem with that is I never learned how to resolve emotional conflicts. And that turns out to be how you become an adult. And so I was extremely stunted. When I came into sobriety and in abstinence, I was highly, highly childish. I had all these emotions that were insane. I was throwing temper tantrums. I mean, just like not stuff a grown ass man should, should be doing, you know? Um, but another reason I like the word childish over selfish and self-centered is because Selfish and self-centered feels very up there. It feels very insurmountable. Childish is very, very easy. That's easy to get over, right? It's embarrassing not to. When I'm being childish, I, I, it's, it's like not a, it's not really a flattering thing. Um, but it's very, very easy to, to, for me to understand like, oh, I'm being childish right now. I need to act like an adult. What would an adult do? That's very easy, you know, but fundamentally, you know, I am fixated on myself. I am centered towards me. 
always, and, and I didn't really understand this concept in early, in early uh, sobriety or abstinence, um, what it really meant and how it related to my illness. And what, I have, uh, what happened was I met this guy named Frank, and Frank had Parkinson's, and he also had alcoholism. And uh, Frank uh, and I developed a relationship, and now we were eating dinner at one point, and he pointed out the fact that um, Parkinson's is almost identical to, to AA. When, when he uh, is focused in on himself and thinking about himself, suddenly it becomes like he can't move and armor to what he said was armor it feels like armor comes all over my body and i can't move and then when i focus on somebody else it's like nothing at all and i mean cammy's a doctor we've just we discussed this a little bit focusing on other things outside yourself can really help parkinson's be people with parkinson's that's exactly the way that i am with my compulsive overeater and my selfishness when I'm focused in on me, I feel like I cannot engage in the world around me. I feel cut off from everybody else. I am totally unable to access the type of relationship which makes life meaningful. And that's a big problem. No wonder I ate. You know what I mean? No wonder I was eating. That is a big problem. When I'm focused in on me, I am just alone in my thoughts. And I'm, yeah, it's just not great. And I, I walked around for a long time, even in sobriety like a, a person, uh, you know, like I was the main character in a movie about my life and everybody else was just secondary side characters, you know, and that's just not, that's not a, a good, it, it's, it's just not a good way to live in my experience. And it's certainly not conducive to abstinence, um, or any sort of sober eating. So what I have learned in abstinence is that, and this is actually more true in, in OA than it is in AA, is that I need to focus on other people and I need to make it on a daily basis. What I have found the difference between AA and OA is in AA, I can, I can let up on my program a little bit and I'm okay. I'm not going to drink, right? I can, I can skip meetings for a while and I, I'll be okay. Maybe not emotionally okay, but I'm not going to drink. In OA, it's not like that. I go without meetings for a while and I be, I, my food falls off the rails very quickly. There's very little wiggle room, at least in my experience, for, for that kind of thing. And so there needs to be some discipline, but it also needs to be a daily basis. You know, it needs to be just like on a fundamental daily basis. I need to focus on other people, be it my work, be it my relationship with my wife, be it, um, you know, my relationship with my parents or, or just other people. I, I you know, for, what I was told is that if I don't go from being a taker to being a giver, then I am never going to recover. I will never recover from my illness. And uh, that was the transformation that the steps did for me. Um, and you know, I'm not a big altruist or whatever. I, I, I do what's asked of me in Overeaters Anonymous, um, when it's asked of me. And, um, yeah, so, you know, my, I guess my weight journey has been interesting. Um, I lost a lot of weight almost immediately. Uh, in Overeaters Anonymous, I started doing what were actually fast, but taking a little bit too far and also having very, some very heavy calorie restriction because I could for the first time. You know, I had had binges of anorexia before, but I had never had this situation where I actually had discipline over my food. And when I worked the steps, suddenly I found I could exhibit actual discipline over the way that I ate, right? And to a certain degree, to a certain degree. Um, and that was awesome. That was awesome, man. And I, uh, I, I hit the gym 
and I lost just an absolute ton of weight. I mean, I went from like 240 to uh, like one, I think I was like 163 by the, t by the time I ended up not doing it. I'm six foot two, that 163 is not healthy. So I went overboard on that for sure. And uh, when I came to that, I was, you know, I, I had some health problems as a result of going a little overboard because I had just never done that before. I'd never been able to actually enjoy being skinny and I wanted to know what that was like. Um, and, but I found that I actually couldn't reverse it. So I had to, I had to really make some adjustments in my food plan. It was very strict, basically keto. I think I would eat only protein and vegetables. That was it. I wouldn't even eat, uh, uh, fruit at that time. And I'll, you know what, like the results of that are diff are, we, I, I wouldn't blame you for judging the results of that. However, when I'm on a ketogenic diet, I have to say, I experience a level of neutrality that I experience no other time. I am just totally neutral in regards to food. And um, it's it's the sanest, I feel. But it's just not a long-term thing. So I've got to, I had to find a different way to do this. I had to find a way to actually work in decent calories into my diet so that I could maintain a healthy body weight. And I started working with my sponsor to develop a food plan and do that kind of stuff. And um, my, you know, I call my sponsor every morning. We do this party line and uh, a bunch of guy, other guys are on it. We pray, we do an inventory and all that kind of stuff. I do that daily basis. It's very helpful for me. And, um, you know, what happened was I started gaining weight and um, I started looking good. And uh, I got really into that. And I think, look, I, I mean, I've sponsored a couple of guys and it seems to me like what happens is usually people who have been overweight and, and you know, uh, don't look that way, uh, the way that they want to, they can they can go a little bit into the vanity section, and that that was my experience very much so. Um, I am very hesitant to um, to poo poo any sort of vanity related when it comes to people who have self suicidal self loathing regarding their body image. I'm very very reluctant to to like poo poo that at all because I feel like that's vanity's a little bit healthier than the suicidal self loathing. Actually, it's dramatically healthier, you know, but uh, that evened out, that evened out over time for the most, kind of, and, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I just, look, since that time, my, my, my body has maintained the exact, pretty much the exact same weight with a few exceptions, which I'll talk about. I maintain, I'm 6'2", I'm, six, uh, two. I'm uh, about 210 pounds. I fluctuate on a weekly basis between 205 and 215. Okay, that's not actual weight gain or weight loss like my sponsees think it is. The trend is it stays exactly right around 210, right? And I have learned that I cannot get on a scale and judge my entire life based on just that reading. That is a very, very dangerous thing because either things are great or things are awful and really things have just stayed exactly the same. So what I have learned to do is trends and even better than weight, I actually don't weigh myself very often at all anymore. I, uh, I, I find it to be the least accurate form of getting an actual self-assessment of, of where, you know, where things are, which is, can be useful. It can be useful when I'm gauging like, how really, am I, am I experiencing some inabstinence right now or if, am I just uncomfortable in reality? Is there something going on there? Um, and what I, what I have done in the past is, is body fat, like a body fat percentage uh, measurement. And again, a trend. Not a single, not a single measurement. That's that's a recipe for me for self-loathing and disaster. I, I look at the trend over time, and that's you know I do that very rarely nowadays. Um, but um, let's see. 
Um, I sponsor a bunch of dudes. I ended up, um, so that guy, Boo Boo, uh, he, he changed his uh, uh, abstinence state and he asked me to sponsor him because he had seen a significant change in my life and um, like a big change apparently. And he's, I've sponsored him this, almost my entire, my entire abstinence and um, taken him through the steps a couple of times and, and that relationship is, I actually just saw him a couple of days ago. He lives in uh, Nevada now, um, and I live in Albuquerque. But, um, yeah, it's an important relationship in my life, especially during COVID, man. Thank God for sponsees during COVID. Let me tell you, it got uh, it got pretty hairy there. Um, I guess I'll talk about that. Um, during COVID, I took a break, a little break from meetings. And uh, I was doing Zoom on and off, but not, not committed or anything like that. And uh, I developed... Uh, plantar fasciitis in my in my left foot, um, which is actually just now starting to resolve after two years, and um, so that that caused a couple of problems. First of all, I couldn't exercise almost at all. The gyms were closed due to COVID. I could not work up the up my upper body, and I had plantar fasciitis, so I basically couldn't walk. I was essentially bedridden for quite a while there um, because it was very very bad. I had a very difficult time walking, and I certainly couldn't exercise with it. And um, I found, uh, I guess, another adult life lesson, which is that it's important to do diet and exercise. And I had a very strict diet during that time, and I still gained a ton of weight, right? I still gained a ton of weight. Now, part of that might be from the fact that I had eased up on my program, hadn't quit uh, calling my sponsor or anything like that, and was still sponsoring guys, all that kind of stuff, hitting a meeting from time to time, but not being actually involved. Um, so I think a significant portion of actually that was probably attributed to the fact that I had eased up, um, on my program. Um, and a lot of part of it was that I just physically could not exercise and it was very, it was very stressful for me. You know, I gained a bunch of weight and, uh, you know, my vanity, whatever, by that time actually it eased enough where it wasn't that big a deal, but it wasn't great. You know, I didn't feel super abstinent at that time. And what happened is, you know, I got back involved in Overeaters Anonymous and um, my weight magically started returning to normal. That was once things started opening up and the, and the gyms opened again. And uh, yeah, I mean, my, my body weight returned exactly the same to what it was before, which is surprising because I, I'm usually very heavy on working out my legs. I just, I enjoy sprinting and that kind of stuff. I enjoy deadlifts, all that kind of stuff. And um I can't do those anymore. I have to be very careful with my foot. So I'm very heavy on the top now, but I'm still the same weight. You know what I mean? Like I look totally different, but I'm still just that 210 pounds, you know? And that's for me, that's absence. Like I, I just maintain a healthy body weight and it just, the food manages itself. The reality is I, I occasionally fall under the delusion that I have control over, control over my food. And that's, it is just that a delusion. I eat no matter what. Uh, that has been proven to me. And when I stop going to meetings and I ease up on a program of recovery, very quickly I start falling off the rails. Very, very quickly I start falling off the rails. And I, I you know, I, the truth is I have no control over my, my eating. My higher power controls my eating, right? Um, and I guess, I guess I will talk a little bit about God. I had a hard time with this, with God. I, I just felt like people who were involved in God um, or anything like that, um, I, I just felt like maybe I could understand that aspect if I had been hit a few times with a brick or something, you know, and I had a general sense that it was for, for just not intelligent people. And, um, you know, to a certain degree, I'm still largely, I, I would say not quite an atheist, but my grandpa would definitely say I was an atheist. And, um, 
The 12 steps introduced me to a higher power of my understanding that was in no way, shape, or form offensive to me. It required no belief, no belief whatsoever. I did not have to, to believe in God. It, did, it was not required of me. My God is very present. It's, very, it's actually measurable in a lot of ways. Um, and it is in no way, shape, or form offensive. And, and it was, that was a pretty big feat for Alcoholics Anonymous because I was not a God guy when I came in. Um, but today I have, a, I have a functional relationship with a higher power that I can measure usually by my food. You know, how close am I to God? It's, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty obvious it comes out in my food. Um, so, yeah, that, that is my experience. So, you know, people, people get hung up on the God stuff. But the, the truth is, man, in, before, like, before I read the 12 step, as I was working the 12 step, there's no reason for me to even talk, think about God. Really, there was no reason for me to think about God because I wasn't introduced to higher power until the end of the 12 steps. Until I had worked the 12 steps, I really was not introduced to that higher power. Those 12 steps allowed me to access that. And one of the steps is not you know, uh, figure out what God is. That's not one of the steps. The step is, you know, turned his, uh, uh, turned our care and, uh, life in over the care of God as we understood him. Um, so that's, that's a different thing. That's an entirely different thing. That doesn't require me to, to intellectualize how, uh, how, you know, what God is that there's nothing intellectual in my experience about overeaters anonymous at all. Right, it's it's an entirely a physical program, and that's what I what, what I hear like the word spirituality, spiritual like spiritual and spiritual principles like that kind of stuff. When I think of spirit, like that is the nature of my actions. Like that's like the spirit of my actions is it's the nature, it's the character of my actions. Right, that's what it means by spiritual. There's nothing intellectual about it, and I am I like to think I am very very smart and very heady. If you haven't picked up on that, and uh, I'm really not, but uh, you know I. I like to think that way. And, you know, my sponsor took me, took me down a peg. She says, there is this, does think, think, think. There's no, that's not part of the big book. That's not in the big book, right? Think, think, think is, uh, you can't solve a, um, a mental illness and a spiritual malady with a sick brain. It just, you can't cure your brain with a sick brain. It just doesn't make sense. So, um, for me, it's all about what I'm doing with my feet, what I'm doing with my hands and all that kind of stuff. Wow, that actually went by really quickly. I'm shocked by that. Um, so let's see. What else should I talk about? Um, if you're new here today, my, my personal advice is um, wear your abstinence like a loose garment, uh, which is what was told to me early on. And I have come to really, really firmly believe in that. I actually had a sponsee who was resetting their date anytime they had a extra calorie anything anything even if he was healthy reset the date every single time he could not drop he was he was very very heavy very very heavy and um when he came to me um i observed that behavior that you know first of all again we are self-loathing people you know we do things that we don't like and it's it um it, it's not a recipe, but the other thing is my relationship with food is insane, but my perception of my relationship with food is insane. So how I am eating is, I'm not a good gauge of that. I am not a good gauge of how well or how not well I'm eating, right? So it's very dangerous to, from what I've observed to sort of reset the date anytime that you don't feel good about the way that you, if I did that, I would, I would not be abstinent. I would absolutely not be abstinent. And what I did with him was I, 
um, stopped him from resetting his date under no circumstances. And he has begged me every th like three months to do it for like a bunch of years, bunch of years he does that. And you know what? He's maintaining healthy body weight now and he could never do that before. Thank you. Um, so wear it like a loose garment, you know? It's, um, this is not like AA. It's a very, very different illness. It's an entirely different malady and it's a different program. Uh, and they are not the same in that they are not black and white in my experience. There needs to be wiggle room for, for making error because we're human. Um, you know, my, I get the impulse to sort of just reset the date anytime, sort of like, uh, alcohol, but it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't function to f from what I've observed. And I've seen another number of people fall into that trap. Um, so I think I'm going to wrap up there. Um, if you guys would like to ask questions, I would love to answer them. Thanks. Yeah, how do I work uh, step 12, uh, I'm sorry, step 11, and how do I have conscious contact with God? Interesting question. Um, so actually, when I developed plantar fasciitis, I started, um, I started doing yoga on a regular basis, which changed my life. Uh, I was hugely skeptical of yoga. It seemed to me like something that was just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it turned out, when I did it, that it was almost identical to the physical therapy I was doing, but only in a, like a practice. So I sort of had, had to start meditating. Like I had to, and, and by, I mean, just by it, that is just a meditation. It's incredible. Really yoga. What'll happen is for the first 30 minutes to be like, God, this sucks. I, I'm just sweating. I am tired. And then I'll, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be at like what, seven o'clock at night and, and we'll just start and, and I'll be, I'll go through all of this stuff and I'll be, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to look at the clock. It's, it's gotta be like 7.30 now. And I'll look over and it's like 7.06. You know what I mean? And it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's the worst. But right around, right around 7.30, 7.35, I experience surrender where I am no longer like that. And I, I've never had it so clear like that, like that actual function of surrender. Because like, how do you get to surrender? Really? How, there is no instruction in the big book of how to get to a surrender, you know, or really any emotional state. You know what I mean? They should like, just have serenity. Well, you know, just accept things. Like that's much harder to do, to do than is, is to say, you know, it's very difficult to get there. But I realize, like it's practicing that meditation, there is an element there I'm practicing surrender on a daily basis. I don't know where that's going to go, but I, it was kind of a, a kind of a big deal. But you know, the big thing I do, like I like to take walks with Cammy, my wife, and I like to um, I like to work out. Wor working out for me gets me out of my body. It's meditative. I just I'm I'm present here in the moment. I try to turn off my head and just and just focus on my body and being in my body. And I find that to be. I, you know, if I don't do it, I, I become slowly a little weird. Um, but conscious contact with God for me. So I would say conscious contact with God. It's related to step seven, but, and it obviously involves step seven, but it involves a lot more than that. Um, you know, conscious contact for God with God for me is on a daily basis. I walk around and I used to just be okay. Prior to being absent, I was not okay. I was walking around and I was not okay, right? And then I got absent and I, I just walked around and I was okay for the beginning. Now I would say I am, I am a step above okay. On a daily basis, my baseline, right? I'm not happy all the time, but for the most part, if I just sit back and I 
I like just kind of turn off my head and see how like take a, a little emotional temperature, I feel pretty good, just standard in reality. And for me, that's a conscious contact with God. You know, it's good. This, I, what do they call it? The sunlight of the spirit. You know, that's exactly the way that I feel on a daily basis. And if I don't feel that way, there's usually a problem. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, in an intuitive thought or action, I mean, that, that stuff definitely started. The promises all, all happened for me, you know. Um, that, yeah, it, it, it definitely has happened for me in a, in a big way. For example, um, I knew that uh, I was going to marry Cammie um, after, actually the first time I met her. That was an intuitive thought or action. I actually told my um, my friends Gabe and uh, Colin and, and Yosh the day afterwards that I was going to I was going to marry her. I, I didn't know, you know, it was it's sort of difficult to explain how I knew that, but I just knew it. And now we've been married now since uh, since December, and she's pregnant. Yeah. So yeah. So that yeah that that is how I would answer that question. Please. So, interesting. Okay, so the question is, could you actually restate the question? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, if, uh, if focusing on others and, and not focusing on yourself helps you avoid that selfish, childish yes. part of you, um, how far is too far? And yep. how does that, how do you, to the extent you have any people-pleasing instincts, how does that control? Yeah. Okay. Got it. So the question is, um, the conflict between being other centered and, and people pleasing. Um, I guess I don't really super relate to the idea of people pleasing. I, I like to people to like me all the time and I want to find, I want them to find me attractive and funny and charismatic and successful and all that kind of stuff. But, um, and I want my boss to like me and think I'm doing a good job. So I guess maybe I'm a little bit of a people pleaser, but, um, you know, I, I would say in that question that there is absolutely no um, too much. No such thing as too much. I really don't. If you're going to go one way or the other, man, I, for me, uh, if I'm going to go one way or the other, I would rather – I'll give you an example. So people talk about relationships being a give and take, 50-50. My experience is when I take that approach, that attitude, my relationship very, very quickly becomes a disaster. It becomes a total and utter disaster. Now, it makes sense. It makes logical sense to think about it as in a, a transactional situation. She gives to me, I give to her. Do those even out, right? That's the way my thing, my, my way thinks. The only functional way is when I am focused just on being service to her in some way, shape, or form. My, my personal take on that is the more other-centered I am, the more I experience a conscious contact with God and the better I feel in reality, the better I feel about who I am as a person and um, just generally, you know, how, how, how well my life is going. So that's what I would say. Any other questions? Um, what step helps you the most when you feel like you're going off track or 
Well, um, when, when I go off track, I mean, the 12th step is, is the one that, you know, experience, you know, focusing on a newcomer, but there's more to it than that. You know, I've got to be in contact with a sponsor when I'm going off the rails. I need to run things by them, um, and, and see what's going on. You know, very, very simply that's so I, I don't know what step is calling your sponsor, I guess three, maybe, um, I'm not sure. Um, it's definitely four and five, but, uh. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just like, I need to get with a uh, qualified person who has an objective uh, vision over this and has personal experience and just about everything that I could run into so that I can I can get, because my head's, I'm crazy. Even at even at five years abstinent, I, I'm still crazy. My, my illness exists between my ears still today and uh, and I need, I need some help with that. So that's what I do when I'm going off the rails a little bit. Yeah. All right, guys, is that it? All right, good to go? Yeah. Cool, thanks guys.